0: and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Donnelly, and uh, today I am joined by the one, the only, the game pioneer herself, Jennifer! How you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Tom. Thank you for asking.
0: (laughs) It is always my pleasure. And you've kind of become the the lead-off batter because this is round 10 Turn one. We are we're can you believe we made it to round ten on this podcast? It's amazing. Um <laughs> Maddie is not with us. He is building more gaming shelving for the coming winter, as all squirrels would do. And uh in, in round ten, turn one, we are gonna be talking about the 2020 release Tawantinsuyu, I believe is how it's pronounced, by the prolific David turksy who has uh I think most of us have had a horrible 2020. David Turksey has had quite an amazing 2020. I mean, the, 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 the number of things that he has put out this year is just baffling. And then Jennifer. Yeah. Uh, yeah right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: D- you hmm uh, Did we review you uh, or, or was it somebody else that reviewed Takenu? No, it was us. Yes, it was us. Yes. Yeah, it was great. Right? Yep. It's amazing. Yep. And then, Maddie, yeah. and then Maddie and then and I did uh, did Anachrony earlier this year too, which which he's had uh, uh, several uh, expansions for come out this year. Yeah,
1: uh, the expansion is finally shipping to me. <laughs> finally.
0: It's it's a long time coming, but uh, it looks good. I, I can't wait to play with the expansion. I haven't done it yet. Um, Jennifer and myself, and a special guest Bruce, who is a fixture in the Southern California board gaming community, uh, will be discussing the growing trend of micro turns in game design and what their effects are on tension and decision making in gaming. Ooh, it sounds—it it sounds like we're doing a thesis statement.
1: I <laughs> uh, hate. I hope it's the beginning of someone's thesis. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I I feel like you're going to you're you're making an appeal to uh to to turn the ship a little bit in terms of the way people are designing games. But we'll talk about that later. We'll see we'll see what it comes down to. Shall we get into this week's game night? Sure. Played a ton of games this week, so I'm going to start because my my uh, my game night this week was relatively lighter in comparison to to you. I uh, it, it Christmas is coming up, and so I had to uh, meet several deadlines this week, so my it cut into my game time. I did get several plays of Tawantinsuyu in, which was always a pleasure. I got a couple more plays of Beyond the Sun in in the last couple of weeks, and then with the family, we played a bunch of Wavelength and. Family favorite Tichu was uh, was on the table and will be for quite some time. We absolutely love that game. Jennifer, what have you been playing these, uh, this last uh
1: time? been playing Tawantus, to-, to, to-, to, to-, to, to-, to you, of course. Mm-hmm. And then um, I played Babylonia, played Paris, and that's kind of on my brain. We'll talk about that more. Sure. Uh, Whistle Mountain. Which um, also kind of on the brain as well. Looking forward to yeah more more plays. I played a lot of Hallertau, so I could figure out if I wanted to buy it or not, and I don't. So yeah, it's been it's been really busy. Oh, and then we set up uh, Concordia for today's le- later discussion.
0: Oh. You play, yeah. So, this is the, what people have to understand is that this is your season. This is your, the, the most right. wonderful time of the year is the moment ends until the end of the year. Right. And traditionally, like back when I met you, which was a really long time ago, I would come to your game days, your SoCal game days that you would have. You know, we would do it at, like, we did it at the. We did it up in the middle of nowhere in La Crescenta. We did it in at the uh, Moose Lodge a couple times right. in yeah. in Burbank. And we would go in, and most of the year we'd just be playing whatever. But then this time of the year, we would go into the SoCal game day, and you would have all of the stuff shipped from Essen. We would be printing out rule books in English that people have done very loose translations of because the English version of these games isn't even out yet. And yep. you knew every single one of them. You were <laughs> you were the person that We're like, how the hell does she do this? How does she?
1: Uh, I and another friend, we've been doing this, for a long time, as I mentioned in my my uh, YouTube video, I'm Maybina on the YouTube video about Babylonia. I mean, chasing down translations was work back in the day.
0: Oh, it okay? was super hard. I remember. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So no, I've always loved us, and I've always, you know, I'm a I'm a person that likes new shiny stuff. Yeah. So the good news is, most of the time, I, although I don't know about this year, but most of the time, the stuff that I don't want to keep, I can turn it around at a at a reasonable price. Yeah. So you, it, it's you know it's not too bad.
0: Yeah. You 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 tend to you play the games like three or four times. You keep very good. You take very good care of them, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to keep this one, and you generally sell it for about. Maybe a loss of ten bucks, which yeah. for for playing a game four times to learn if you like it or not, that's a very reasonable uh, <laughs> uh, the, you know amount to pay, really.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. This year it's a lot harder because yeah. you know you don't have the meetups that I would normally be attending, and of course game night and other other places. But I'm meeting someone today to sell some games, so it's not possible
0: okay be, ca- be careful man it, it is it is crazy in Los Angeles right now. I this-
1: know I know what's really gonna happen is I'm going to put it on the ground and the, the person's gonna leave me the money on the ground and I'm gonna pick it up with gloves and yeah. then you know' Good. We'll, we'll do it that way because yeah I don't <laughs> that's what I don't need. I hate being sick.
0: Oh the worst the worst. Yeah, we want you to we want you to stay very very safe. We want everybody listening to stay very safe. Uh, if you look back at uh, 1919 uh, and you look at the Spanish flu, you will see that there is this small bump that was the first year of the Spanish flu, and then you will see the huge huge spike that happened the second year. The most of the deaths in the Spanish flu did not come in the first year of the Spanish flu; they came in the second. So please, let's not have. Uh, History repeat itself for listeners of this podcast. Take very good care of yourself. And, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a cure that is on the way. We have a cure that is in the pipeline. We're going to have to wait months for it. Do yourself and do your family a favor, and please take very good care uh jennifer what would you say uh, we'll get to a little more on games in the brain but since you played so many games in the last couple weeks and they're all the hot newness what would you say are your top three of the uh, of the new games that you've been playing recently
1: uh Anno yep. and babylonia mm. and beyond the sun
0: Oh, ah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I quite like Beyond the Sun. I, it, not everybody was uh, was agreeing with me, but I, I thought the idea of uh, flipping things around and having the tech tree be the main part of the game, I thought was a really interesting innovation. I thought they did a good job. Well,
1: yeah. Of. I you know I just felt – you know at first it seemed kind of weird. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But as I got more into it, the decisions became more important.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: You know, and more meaningful and I I really like that. And I, I also liked the little board, you know, the little area control thing going on. Yeah. I was, thought, yeah, it was I elegant. thought that was good. I thought that was a good expression of what you're doing in the tech tree. I
0: totally agree. I totally agree. And Babylonia, I'm dying to play it. I haven't played it yet. I'm looking forward to it. Um Old Reiner Knizia classics like Samurai. The Samurai is one of my favorite games of all time. I think it's absolutely a brilliant, brilliant design, and this seems to iterate off of that and take it to the and take it to the next level. And that sounds yeah. Like right I think
1: my if you really like Samurai, you're gonna like this better.
0: Oh, can't wait! Can't <laughs> wait. What say we get into this week's news?
1: Good evening, Mister Mister Nalfon, Captain all the tips and you. Let's go to Brass Clouds.
0: News. Uh, first thing up in game news, we're just going to say it's the end of the year, and uh, it, it's been. Thank God, it's the end of this year. This has been a <laughs> real bear of a year for for, for everybody. Uh, but we do want to say that uh, there's so many businesses, there so many industries that are hurting right now. Uh, we should also mention that our industry, board game industry, is hurting right now. And if you have spare money, and please do not give money that you, do not, that you do not have in surplus, but if you wanted to, this would be a particularly excellent year to donate to Board Game Geek. As we've seen, as we've talked about this year, it is not a perfect community by any stretch of the imagination. We've we've, we've witnessed some dust-ups, some dust-ups with our own Jennifer as well that have been uh, uh, troubling to say the least. But but I do believe that it is uh, a community that is still very much worth supporting, and that uh, the, the the people that are in charge of it are people that really do want the best for everybody, and it's largely labor of love uh, for the hobby that they love.
1: True. I always do it. I always give every year. It's well worth the $25 that I give to not have ads. Without it, uh, I mean, see, people don't really realize what it was before Board Game Geek. (laughs) <laughs> that was amazing, amazingly bad, right? Yeah, I so, think So, heck that's, yeah, <laughs> I give to, to Board Game Geek.
0: Yeah, people would, uh, pe- people would go on uh, dial-up and look up bulletin boards where people were, were talking about these weird things in Europe that people were playing. So, right! Thank goodness that we have, uh, that we have Board Game Geek. Uh, the micro badge levels start at just $15. So if you can sport 15 bucks, guess what? You're going to get a 2020 patron badge. And as Jennifer said, if you give at least $25, you're at the silver level. And you can customize what ads you see on the site, which which can be a very nice thing. If you're going there every day, 25 bucks sounds like a good deal to have the page look the way you want it to look. It's pretty nice. Uh, and then there are obviously higher levels after that. But listen, I, it's something that I also try to give. I haven't give, given every year. There was a, a period where I didn't. But I think if you look at my uh, my guy, my little symbol, I think I've I, Given donated at least ten times, and uh, I will be donating this year, especially because, as we said, it's a it's a tough year, and we should support the the people that are are trying to do the the best things that they can. Uh, next up is a particularly joyful experience. Here, uh, there's a game that is coming uh, that has come out, Aliens. Another glorious day in the core. Another glorious day in the core, gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, love the title. Uh, the publisher is Gale Force Nine. Gale Force Nine are the people that put out the uh, the edition of Classic Dune. They put out their their Dune version earlier in the year. They've also done games like Spartacus: Blood and Sand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, They seem to be specializing in. Uh, tie-ins they tend they take tie-in titles and they make them into games uh, looking at what they did with dune which is uh, which is not that much they they honored dune and they did a fairly good job of it i would love to check this out i've heard some good things about it it is definitely a bug crawl it plays one to six players uh and there are six different missions that the game comes with four of them for those missions can be combined into a campaign system um Listen, Jennifer, this is not generally the type of game that you or I like, right?
1: Nope.
0: But I will say that I am such a huge fan of Aliens that I look at this game and I'm like, yeah, I would, I would play this. I would play the heck out of this, this miniature, miniature game. In particular, one thing that's interesting is they have something called an exhaustion deck, which seems to be a relatively new idea. The idea being that each player can carry up to four, two or four items with them. So they can carry guns and weapons and tools and, and so on and so forth. And the deck is open to them. They can take whatever they want. The thing is, though is that everything you do in the game exhausts cards from that exhaustion deck. So if you want to fire your, your uh, smart smart gun, it's going to cost you three. If you want to fire a flamethrower, it's going to cost you two cards from that exhaustion deck. And if your team exhausts the exhaustion deck, you lose. So it creates a very interesting situation where you want to tech up and grab everything that you can to go on this mission... But if you do that, your deck, your, your, uh, your exhaustion deck is much, much smaller. So probably proper strategy is figuring out how lean can I go in so that I can last longer. It's a very interesting idea. I thought it was a great idea. Yep.
1: Yeah, nope. I don't even like aliens, so there you go.
0: <laughs> what? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, then you might, you might also not like the next title we're going to talk about, Dwellings of Eldervale. Dwellings? Uh, okay, I'm going to start off by saying I don't like the title, <laughs> Dwellings of Eldervale. It sounds like Cones of Dunshire a little bit to me. Right, yeah. But, but more than that, there's a game called Everdale that is highly successful and, and much beloved. Why would you name a, a, a place Eldervale if there's a game called Everdale out there? It's, 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 it's bizarre to me. That said, uh it is a game for 1 to 5 players and uh the designer is Luke Lowry. Luke Lowry um designed Whistle Whistle Stop for one that uh, Jennifer is going to be talking about probably in a, in a in a few minutes here. Um he's also designed uh one of the Manhattan Project games the the particularly good uh one which was Energy Empire, Manhattan Project Energy Empire, which uh from that series of games I thought was was pretty much the best. So Luke Laurie is a serious designer. Um, This is a worker placement game with miniatures. It is a little bit of a dice chucker too. So this seems to be a game that tries to do a little bit of everything. You've got worker placement. You've got area control. You've got engine building. And you're chucking dice and moving miniatures around on the board. To me, uh, this is either going to be one of the best games ever made or it, it could be trying to serve too many masters. We will see. Uh, early word is uh is pretty decent with the people playtesting, but you know, people play testing tend to love the game that they're playtesting, right? They they tend to either know the designer or it, it tends to be right up their alley to begin with. So uh just so you know, Dwellings of Eldervale is uh, says a 2020 release. Uh it is out in stores right now and uh the English editions are well they're expensive. They're expensive. They're they're running uh, $150 is, is what I'm looking at right now. So, But listen, for the miniature gamer, those prices don't seem so absolutely insane, though a little bit high. Uh, might be a try before you buy. That might be my suggestion. Next up is uh, Nadavalier. Uh, Jennifer, I got nothing for you today. <laughs> Nad- <laughs> <laughs> Nadavalier <That's okay>.
1: is... <laughs> you don't always have to have something just for me.
0: Uh, it takes place in the Dwarf Kingdom, where they're threatened by the dragon Fafnir. And uh, it is a card drafting game in which you're uh, you're spending money at various places to draft people into your Dwarfen army. Um, each Dwarf class scores differently, so there are blacksmiths, hunters, warriors, explorers, miners... Um, Tom Vassell gave this a yeah. rave. Tom Tom Vassell absolutely loved this game, and he said that when this comes out, people are going to really want to uh, to jump on it. I, I haven't heard much about it. I think it's been released in, in Europe. I will say that Serge Leger, who, who is the designer... Uh, has designed a lot of good games. I mean, he uh, at Astra, Shadows over Camelot, so one of the very first hidden trader games ever. Mystery of the Abbey he designed with uh, Bruno. And so this guy's serious. This guy is uh, is is a no joke designer. Somebody to be taken seriously. And the early word on this game is quite good. So if if you can get past dwarves, I personally have a problem. But uh, <laughs> if you can get past dwarves, this might be a game for you to check out. And last but not least, we are going to talk about United States versus Aaron Burr. This is a game that's going to be coming out at some point in 2021. We don't, it's a, a little bit early uh, as far as the, the, the game goes. But the reason I bring it up is because the designer is Jason Matthews. Jason Matthews, as you know, is the designer of Twilight Struggle and Imperial Struggle. And he has another two player game which is going to be the Treason Trial of Aaron Burr. Treason Trial? Yeah.
1: Uh, what? I was going to say, that might be interesting. I might pick that up. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, we were talking about, uh, about why there aren't any lawyer-themed games, and here you have a game that is a, a two-player uh, card-driven war game, essentially, that, that, that uh, recreates a treason trial. I think that's a really interesting idea.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to Dimitri's analysis.
0: Yeah, I am too. I am too. (laughs) Now, you know, we don't know when it's going to come out in 2021. So, you know, all I can say is I'm willing to wait for it. <laughs> yeah. Little Hamilton joke there for you um yeah I, I, looking at the cards, looking at the way it lays out this is this sounds really interesting to me i i really I'm super excited about it actually I can't wait to uh to try it out and check it out. I love games that uh take more obscure moments in history as opposed to trying to tell the story of a whole period. they tell a, a an event in history, and I' learned from that event um uh, the- right. You know what I mean? That that's that's a yeah. really great thing.
1: Absolutely, and and you know it's not just another take on this or another take on that. You know, it's digging deeper. I I wish more board game designers would do this.
0: Heck yeah, absolutely. Um, my one complaint about uh, United States versus Aaron Burr is I, I don't see a single dwarf in it. it it's very. <laughs> It's very frustrating, uh, and uh, I, so far, I haven't seen the miniatures yet, but they, uh, the, the sculpts, from what I can see, don't, don't appear to be very good, so we'll see. But
1: uh, <laughs> United
0: States versus Aaron Burr will be coming out in 2021. Jason Matthews, two players, about an hour's play length is what he's saying, which uh, that, 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 that gives me an interest. I mean, what, a shorter game, it sounds, that sounds like around the realm of a Watergate, Which is another very good game that when you play it, you learn more about a particular moment in history.
1: I don't want to know any more about Watergate. Thank you
0: very much. All right. I
1: live that stuff. Oh,
0: God. I am not a crook. Let us get right right into games on the brain. Jennifer, what's on your brain?
1: Um, As you were mentioning, Whistle Mountain, we finally, I finally got it to the table. I've had it for for a month. And it's very interesting. I will say it's very gamey, like for example, Babylonia kind of flows and you kind of, okay, I get that, I get that. And you're just kind of in it, right? Mm-hmm. This is, you have to know every mechanic. It doesn't really go together very well, but it does come up. You know, it is an interesting game, absolutely. And I look forward to more plays.
0: Looking at the pieces, uh, looking at the the, uh, the art and the pictures, it looks like a very complex, busy board. You have complex pieces that are covering other complex spaces, and then you're putting pieces on top of those those tiles.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean is it's kind of – did you ever play Feudum?
0: Uh, no, I've never played Feudum, specifically for that reason. Specifically, people, exactly. people were telling but me it's, that...
1: It's not as bad as Feudum. Feudum is probably the worst game it, like that that I've ever played. But uh, it's still, you know, it's just it's a bunch of mechanics thrown together to make a game. And it is good, I guess. But like I said, I've only played it once.
0: Interesting, interesting. Well, that is uh, the designer Scott Caputo, who did Whistle Stop, uh, teamed up with Luke Laurie, who we just mentioned for Dwellings of Eldervale. Um, what else? What else is going on? Uh, talk, to about, uh, talk to me about Paris. Sell me on Paris. Yeah,
1: yeah that was the other game. Uh, you know, we've played it four times now. Which is a lot in this space, right? sure, and um, I really like it. It's very interesting, you know again, here things are way more intuitive, right? Sure. I mean, they're not particularly thematic, but it's just a more accessible game. The game kind of ramps up in tension as you go along, and then you know it's 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 very challenging i'm I'm so happy. That K and K, I'm sorry, Kramer Kramer and and Keesling got (laughs) together.
0: (laughs) We do. We call we we yeah we uh, a lot of people shorten that to K and K. And when you say K and K in in the hobby, you know exactly who that is.
1: Yeah. So, but I know not everybody knows. Sure. So it felt like classic K K and K, and that's the whole thing about everything I'm liking this year. All these classic designers are coming back and making these 2020 games. And I'm like, yeah,
0: yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. we're What we've talked about, uh, I asked you for your top three of the year and you named a Martin Wallace title and a Reiner Knitzia title. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're talking that's about, I mean. now we're talking about Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling. It's,
1: yeah, it's, yeah, man, it's the nineties all over again.
0: I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, uh, Kramer designed El Grande, which to this day, uh, like predates, essentially predates the Euro game uh, phenomenon. And to me, I know you don't love it, but for me, it's one of my favorite games of all time to this day. Well,
1: you know, as we were discussing before the podcast, Mm -hmm. it's another game that's really good that I don't like
0: which is fine. You see what I mean? Yes. Totally. Right. Totally. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I yeah. would never say, oh, don't play that game. I would never say, don't play El-, El Grande. I think everybody who considers themselves a board game hobbyist should absolutely play that game.
0: Yeah. It it started so many things. I mean, there, there are so many games that owe, that owe where they are to that game. And it still, plays. Yep. It, still, it still holds up if you like area control, which I do. Um, I, I will say Paris looks beautiful. It's a it's a circular board. It's got the Arc de Triomphe in the center. You have your yep. little you have your little player uh, um, hutches where you hide your resources behind them, and those look like uh, uh,
1: we don't do that. That's the only thing,
0: right? Because you the, have you have you have a thing against hidden information. I get that,
1: right? No, we don't have anything against hidden information per se. The rule is once seen always seen. Yes. So. Like, if you draw cards, well, we haven't seen them, so you don't have to show them, right? Yeah. It's only when we've seen them. That's all.
0: And, uh, yeah, and, and I will say that that rule, that that uh, – or principle. I'm going to call it a principle. That Jennifer principle uh, makes uh, games like uh, Keyflower – much, much better. If you play Keyflower right. with with Jennifer's suggested alternate rule, which now is an official alternate rule for the game, uh, any pieces that you collect that everyone has witnessed, they go. They do not go into the hidden place behind your b- behind your little house. They go out in front, and only pieces that you draw from the bag, in which case nobody knows what they are. Those are the only ones that go behind. It makes the game much more strategic and much more interesting. So there you go.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Love it. Um, That it for the brain for you? Yep. great. I'm good. For me, I got to say, I I received an early Christmas present from a listener. Uh, Listener meme up on this. I asked him if you wanted me to use his handle or his actual name. He said, use the handle. So meme up on this uh, has decided that during the pandemic, he was going to turn into a bit of a carpenter. And he built his own crokinole board. Crokinole wow. is a dexterity game where you are flicking little discs and trying to make them into the hole in the, in the center, and there are these posts that bounce them to and fro. So it's kind of like a 360-degree shuffleboard or uh, uh, curling game of sorts. Uh, very fun once you get into it. A very fun, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: you- to to play that all the time when I was a kid the other great thing about Crokinole is it's really easy to pick up so like back in the day when I was having people over uh-huh. you know in my bigger house you know my cousins would come over and I'd put the board out and they knew what to do within 2 or 3 minutes it's yes. a great game for for that and you i play had it quickly. to sell my my board though when i moved
0: right Right, it does take up a lot of space, which is why Maddie uh, said, "Tom, why don't you take it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'll take it." So yeah, he made two boards, one for himself and then one that he gifted to us. And uh, I've I've tr- tested it out. <laughs> Meme upon this, you did a great job. It's a really good board. I'm like, excellent, I'm blown excellent. away by it. I can't wait to bring it home and play with the kids this uh, uh, this coming week and during their during their winter break. Uh, It's going to be really fun. And it kind of made me think about dexterity games. Um, Dexterity games are definitely not for everybody. They're definitely not me. Yeah, exactly. And they don't have to be for everybody. But I will say that I was thinking uh, just the other day, I was thinking I was future casting. I was letting my mind daydream about the first game night when people can come back, when you can actually have people come back for a game night. And, of course, I'm imagining it Are in- you
1: renting the Greek theater? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it feels like that, doesn't it? It feels I like know. that. I'm uh, Because I'm, I'm imagining it in a way that it won't be, right? I'm imagining <laughs> that magically a wand is going to be waved and suddenly everyone is okay to go and hang out. In reality, it's probably going to be that you know certain number of people are vaccinated and proven and now we can game together so it's probably going to come together in fits and fit some starts rather than a an opening bell when suddenly everyone can come which together which is
1: probably for the best oh, because yeah. otherwise you know you'd be choosing between friends and you don't want to do that, most likely.
0: Well, I mean, you've seen my office. It's pretty It's pretty big, and, and we even have...
1: Oh, dude. The number have... of people who would want to come to that is way bigger than your office.
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably right. <Yeah.
1: laughs> but in,
0: in any case, in any case, uh, uh, when I was trying to figure out what game, what would be the first game I want to play with people, I got a weird thought. I thought that I have all of these pitch car tracks Pitch Car uh, was based on a game called Carabande, which essentially is flicking discs on smooth surfaces, much like uh, Crokinole. Uh, but in it, but it turns it into a race, so you're right. racing around corners and things like that. And mine has a jump in it. It has all sort. It has a, a raised section, and it's got all sorts of fun stuff. It, it is a joy to play once in every once in a in a blue moon, and yeah. I have so many. So many tracks for it that my huge conference table, which has gotta be what, fifteen feet long or something along those lines. Yeah. The the track fills up the entire the entire board. And so I was thinking that's what I wanna do. The the first time I get, yeah. you know, a real serious game night, people come in and they see that board and and we just we just have childlike fun for that very first game. You know what I mean?
1: Well, that would be a way to limit the to not worry about how many people would come, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trey, Trey would not come. You would not come. I, you know, there's a there's a bunch of people that would I be. I would come. Yeah. I yeah. Now,
1: I I played via Paleto Yes. For a while, and then one time I was gonna put a piece on, but I I breathed out, and the whole thing fell apart. <laughs>
0: Uh, one, of the, one of the joys of dexterity games, how fragile the, uh, the, the, the basis of the games are. But uh, yeah, anyway, so I was thinking about uh, dexterity games this week. That's been on my, on my brain a little bit. Cool, cool. Shall we get to our review?
1: Ah, uh, yes, we should. I'm all ready to go.
0: All right. Uh, today we are going to be reviewing Tawantinsuyu, or Tawantinsuyu, uh, which is a 2020 release. The designer is, as we said, the prolific David Turksey. Uh, the artists are, bear with me, Jakub uh, Fachinowski, Jakub Skop, Mikhail Dlujaj, uh, Zibnayu Umgeter, and Alexander Zawada. And the publisher in the United States is Simon Games. And uh, the story is this the great Sapa Inca Pachuti uh, turned his uh, to his offspring and ordered them to worship Inti the Sun God, and expand the Incan Empire as far as the Llamas roamed. With Sayu, uh, Soyu, uh, Antinsuyu, Kuenlansuyu, and Kundinsuyu, the four regions of the new empire, now ripe for conquest, the time has come for Pachuti's true successor to arise. So gather your people from the villages below and use their unique abilities to strategically place them where they can perform the greatest tasks for you. Climb the steps of the Sun Table uh, t- Temple, uh, reaping the rewards of your piety. Build structures that both nourish your people and provide you with benefits no other has at their disposal. Muster an army and conquer villages in the four realms of Tawantinsuyu. Prove yourself a worthy successor to Pachuti and lead the Inca to glory. So, this is an Incan game. This is uh, a-, a game that uh, takes place on a on a board that is supposed to look as though it is multi-tiered and three-dimensional. Jennifer, tell us how it plays, though.
1: Well, I'm going to use the player aid, ha-ha, oh. um, <laughs> to describe... How unique. <laughs> to describe how the, uh, the structure of the game. So, um, on a turn, um, you'll either play a worker or you're going to take two secondary actions. Um, They're all kind of important, but the most important is moving the high priest and getting more cards. Um, When you move the high priest, you then create an action that everybody can take. You get a discount or something for free or something, but everybody is involved. and, and that that gives the game a little bit of distinction, right?
0: Yep, absolutely. Um,
1: after a while, actually, after you run out of people to put on the board, there's a festival. Uh, the game, there's three festivals in the game. And um, after the third one, we count up points. You know, again, this is another game that even though there's three festivals is not necessarily the same number of terms because of the way the the uh, village the maple mechanics work right
0: right Tom exactly yeah. right exactly yeah right.
1: and that's another distinction that at least I really like yeah then yeah uh, you have several types of workers they all have little special powers mm-hmm. and um, they're very easy very accessible you understand what you're doing <laughs> yeah
0: yeah the, yeah the, the way the way the, the different colored workers are separated from each other are very simple each of them have a super simple little rule that they follow that the other ones don't
1: Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, a strength in my opinion. Agreed. Um, then on the board are a bunch of tasks. So every time you put down a worker, the worker can do at least one task. And some of them are collection, some of them are constructing a building or steps mm-hmm. or a statue. Sometimes you can purchase weavings, do training, uh, run one of your. Uh, buildings get rewards from your tapestries. Um, the map is both. Uh, is it is five? Isn't it five? It's yes, not it hex. Is. It's five. Right? It's five. Yes, yeah. five-sided board, and each side has two tiers. So um, where you can pl- you can place it anywhere. Well, three three tiers
0: actually, right? Just just to be part- clear. Uh, three tiers actually, right? Because there's the starting oh, yeah, right. tier, top and then tier. Two. I'm
1: sorry, yeah, yeah. it has two additional tiers. Correct is how I should have said it. Um, and you can place anywhere, but the further away you are from your high priest, um, overall, really, it, the more you're going to pay in food. Yes. Okay. All right, and you uh, you can any player can create steps anywhere to make it easier to at least move down the tiers. Yep. And you get victory points for for doing that. And um, you know, the game is over after three rounds and you get victory points for a variety of, of things.
0: Yes. So. Quite a wide variety of things, actually. Yeah, there's there's exactly. a, there it's it's not quite um... It's it's not quite a Steffenfeld point salad, but there are no. definitely there's definitely a wide variety of strategies that could be adopted in the game, wouldn't you say? Uh,
1: yeah, but I still think I, I would say there are, but there are still some focuses, multiple focuses. I think sure. we haven't tried the temple yet, but I think there's got to be a strategy there. We just haven't done it.
0: Oh uh, yeah, the temple track. I I have actually. I've done. I, uh, yeah yeah yeah. In one of in one of my games. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about the the, the main strategies. So um, here are some of the ways you get points. There are um, tapestries. There are weavings. Incans were known for their for their weavings. Um, when you gain weavings, uh, you can. There are cards that you can discard to gain one weaving. And there are action spaces that you can take that will show you three weavings and you must pay corn to keep them. You can pay two corn to keep one, four to keep two, six to keep three. It is hard to get corn in this game. It is hard. But if you can keeping 3 weavings is particularly good and it's good for two reasons. One is that you're setting up a long strip of weavings and as long as they're all different patterns, you are going to score end game victory points based on that. I think if you have all 7 different if you have 7 different types, you're going to score 21 victory points for that, which is quite large our 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 games have been you know winners have been over 100 but not very much over 100 I, i i've heard people that can get much higher than that if if they're real pros but uh you know, 20, 20 25 points uh, out, of, out of 100 total, that's a lot of scoring that can be done. The other thing is is that when you put these uh, tapestries together, when you put these weavings together, there are symbols on both ends of the weavings. And if those two symbols match, you're creating a resource that several times in the game you're going to be able to gain so at every festival, you're going to get any resources that symbol, the symbols match up on your things. And there's also an action space at the lower, at the edges of the board that are harder to get to uh, that are going to give you uh, points for that as well. So weavings, definitely, I would say for new players, focus on the weavings because that is clearly a big score for you. Probably my guess is is that... It's going to be like oh, the game I compare this most to is uh, Zolkin because uh, the map is fixed, the board is the board is fixed. You're placing workers that uh, the the worker placement is uh, not as simple as normal worker placement in that the the way you place the workers and what they can do uh, changes over time, which is which is interesting. Um, but it's also like Zolkin in the sense that. There are, you know, there are several ways to score points in in Zolkin, right? You can score on the temples, you can score on the Chichen Itza wheel, and you can score using buildings and monuments, right? Those are the three main ways to do. I would say that you probably can't ignore temples in that game. You probably have to play temples to some degree. I would say the same thing goes for weavings in this game. I think weavings are going to be part of your strategy. You don't want to abandon that completely because there's just too many too many points there. Uh, but there's yep. also but there's also points to be gained by moving up the temple
2: track.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now. And I just, we just haven't experimented with it. You know, that's the only thing about this time of year for me. I'm playing so many games. And it's just hard to, you know, to really get into the depth of some of the games that I'd like to get back to. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, completely. And this is a game that, that for me, uh, I've played it five or six times now. And uh, I think it's worthy of study. I think this is a game that is worthy of study. It is very, very interesting. I, I like. Here is one thing I like about Turksey and his designs. He takes a mechanism that is well known and he twists it. He does something a little right. different with it. In this case, it's the worker placement. The worker placement is uh, first of all he he does two things with worker placement. First of all, when you place a worker out, the worker has, is a color, and the color of the worker. Gives it a little extra special ability. So the blue and uh, green workers, when they go out, there are actually blue and green spaces on the board. And when you go to those, they get two actions instead of the usual one.
1: Right. The other thing I think should be mentioned is that, you know, again, it's a game where it's not your worker, right? Correct. It's a worker.
0: Correct. And
1: I I think that that is a, a nice change.
0: Yes, it is your worker when you place it, in the sense that you get the benefits from it. But once it's out there on the board, it does, it's not owned by you anymore. Um, The idea being that when you place a worker down, every worker is going to be adjacent to three spaces. Those spaces are the things you can do. So one space that you're next to says grab three potatoes, which are important because you need to feed your workers to go further out on the board. Um, One says collect two stone, which are important because you need to build buildings and and build statues, and those require stone. And another one says build stairs. When you place that worker down, generally, you're going to get one action. You're going to have to choose one of those three actions for that. But if you are next to another worker of that same color, you're going to get a second action. If you're next to two workers of the same kind, you're going to get three actions. And if that worker is green or blue, for instance, and you're on a green or blue space, you're going to get a fourth action. So there is a spatial element to placing. There is a heavy strategic element to placing because there are also... Warrior workers that when they go down, they get to pick up a worker next to them of a different color and add it to their uh, to their stash to their collection. There are priest workers that are going to draw god cards. God cards um, essentially tell you which symbols you can place a worker on without having to spend gold, which is, as in most games, gold is the uh, the catch all uh, resource that can become anything. So you want to save that as much as you can. Um, hopefully I'm painting a good picture of, of the way it works, but it yeah, is a, wor- a work... I think so. It is a dynamic worker placement game in which the board is constantly changing and successfully choosing to place workers in the right place is going to multiply the value of that worker uh, to a great degree and really lead to success or failure. And then uh, I love... <laughs> I love a rule book that lies to you, and I think this <laughs> rule book lies. I think it lies like a rug. Like I think it lies like it lies like the weaving. How weebings. is
1: that, Tom? Because I never thought of that. I'd never crossed
0: <laughs> my mind. Well, because the because the game says that the primary action is to place workers, and the secondary action is doing all these other things that you can do as a secondary action. And on your turn, you can either do a primary action or two secondary actions. And when I read that, invariably I think, okay, well, most of the game is going to be doing the primary actions. That's the most important thing. And the secondary actions are every once in a while, I'm going to need to do a secondary action to set myself up to do more primary actions. That's generally, that verbiage means that. But in this case, one of the, two sec- one of the four or five secondary actions you can do is move your priest around what but, essentially is a rondel but, on the top yeah, of yeah, the... Tongue.
1: Yes. You're confusing significant with secondary.
0: Yes, but but that's
1: <laughs> but that's
0: I think they're lying to me. I think that the truth is is that if they describe the game where the primary action is moving around that rondel with your high priest, you would have a much clearer idea what you're supposed to do in the game because really
1: I would disagree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But
1: well, say the reason is is that You can't move your, well, you could move your priest around like four out of five turns, but you would be wasting action, right? Yes. We can agree on that. Of course. Okay, so the primary thing you're going to be doing is placing a worker, primary. Sure. The the thing that you're going to be doing less of is those secondary actions. However, the most significant action is definitely moving The high priest. I agree with that.
0: Good, good. We are in agreement then. So essentially what you're doing is is you're placing the minimum number of workers on the board that you need to to set yourself up to move the priest, the high priest around the rondel to get the really big benefits that are all up there.
1: Yeah. And well, the other thing that's kind of interesting about the high priest that I think isn't immediately obvious is that your initial placement of it kind of determines uh, your focus on strategy. Right. So let's say, for example, if you place your high priest on the conquest space, you probably are not doing much conquest. Right.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a while before you get to that, for sure. Right,
1: and right, and so you you know to sit there and try to run a strategy that you don't have much control over is probably not winning in a competitive game,
0: right? Um, yeah, probably. Um, that said, as you pointed out, if everyone is build is placing their high priests at the beginning of the game in other places. Putting your worker on the, uh, on the conquest space means that you are able to place your workers in a segment of the board that no one else is competing for and you're going to be able to place people cheaper.
1: Right. Well, the other thing is, though, Conquest is definitely not the the best way to win or the only way. But it does set you up for other ways of winning. And I think that, you know, because I don't know how your games have gone, Mm -hmm. but our games have been a a mixture of, you know, new and old player or experienced players. And so, you know, you kind of don't want your new player to AP over where to put their priest.
0: Sure, sure, sure.
1: So, you know, we haven't had the opportunity yet to really exploit that.
0: I played with a person that seemed to really know what they were doing on uh, Tabletopia. And they did uh, what I noticed, what I learned a lot from them was a couple things. First of all, they prioritized getting um, uh, the statues. They, they prioritized getting statues early on and they did early conquest actions they tried to do the conquest action as soon as possible yeah. to get yeah. those to, to get those discs down get those early benefits and build and build off of that and yeah and well
1: the the other thing in doing that once you get two in a specific area yeah that that's a turnoff to everybody else right
0: agreed but,
1: which you is... know and when you get those two cheap It's even better,
0: right? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So what we're we're saying is is that we we haven't described the conquest action, but the conquest action essentially is this. You get conquest cards over the course of the game. There are spaces that give them to you. Uh, They will have either one warrior or two warriors on them. At any point, you can discard them because they have a a bonus benefit at the bottom of the card. It says "This this is worth a gold or... This is worth three corn and so on and so forth, so you can always discard them for that. but if you hang on to them, you can play them into your player area and there are four sections in the corners of the board, there are four conquest sections, and what you do is you spend them by turning them face down or if the symbol says a um, what is a skull symbol, you discard them completely from your from your player board. By discarding those, you're getting some big benefits there. And there's also an area majority aspect to it. So uh, at at the uh, three scorings of the game, the three festivals of the game, the person that has the most tokens in each of the four conquest areas is going to get bonus points based essentially on how many conquests there have been. If there have been five conquests in the game... Each one of those conquest areas is going to be worth five victory points. So if you play a heavy conquest game, you could be getting a big, big, big chunk of points there.
1: Yep, yeah. The other thing that's interesting, you know, at first, you know, well, the conquest card, some of them have a single soldier mm. and some of them have two soldiers, and yes. everybody's going, oh, well, that's just random, and if you get the two-soldier one, that's always better, and then you find out that's not really true. <laughs> 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 because if you put your two-soldier... Um, your two soldier card. If you put the token on a space that says that you can uh, flip over a card or discard it, and discard a, a card, you have to discard your entire two person.
0: And it only, Whereas, it only counts as one. Had exactly. you
1: had two one person ones, you still have one.
0: Absolutely. So having so we reviewed to uh, t- Kenyu, and now we're reviewing to want and suit you. What would you say between the two? Like you know, it's the two T games by uh, by David Turksey this year. The T games by T. Uh, wh- where would you put the comparison between the two? You've played a lot of Tekenu, by the way. you played a lot yeah, more Tekenu than I
1: have. I did. And still, again, a game that's coming back to the table as soon as I can get this backlog. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, I have to say I like Tekenu better. I feel like it's more interactive in the way that I like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, tell you what? He wants to tell you is into, yeah, it's hard, guys. It's hey, hard. Well, it's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> it's interactive in the high priest actions, and but it's not, it doesn't feel that interactive tension the way Tech you does. You know, like taking the last quarry. I mean, people are like, "How dare you? You took the last quarry spot!" Oh! <laughs> yeah. and you don't know, yep. get that in in the other as much.
0: Yeah, there's 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 a probably more denial in Tucanu. I think that's true, and and d- denial is immediately tension filled. Uh, I th- right. I think that's true. I'll say that that uh, at the same point I was in both games. Like uh, after three or four plays uh, of both, I am liking to once and sue so you better than to Kenyu but it's close it's close i think they are both really good games i think yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, he's having yeah. an amazing year and uh i am really happy i'm looking forward to playing both more i would say it's 50-50 right now that as i as i continue to play these games and i really want to continue to play both of these games i think they're very good uh it's 50-50 as to which one i'm going to end up uh, end up liking better
1: yeah i right because i haven't played t- to want to, to you as much. Right. Right? Yeah. So yeah. and you know, as we can get back to face-to-face gaming, you know, throughout the year, I think that, you know, this time next year we're gonna be talking about games or board games that we like, maybe in a little different way. Yeah. Than I think that's what we have this year.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that is to want and sue you. And uh Ah, I think I think you were, are hearing from both of us that it is a very interesting game and a game that we would like to play some more. If you like Thinky Euros, this is probably something that you are going to want to consider. It is available on uh, Tabletopia right now. Uh, it... It is not a game that plays well online. It's a lot of click on this and move this piece over here and move that over there and grab these and, and put these back. So I think the online implementation is is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a game that is probably going to shine more uh, in real-life uh, tabletop play, but still worthy of trying out. So now we are going to talk about microturns. And to join us in this conversation, we have Bruce. Jennifer, Will you introduce Bruce to our listeners?
1: Uh, Yes. I met Bruce in 1985, and we got married. And then we got a divorce about 15 years later. But we're still good friends. And uh, he stays with me and helps me out. And, you know, we play games all the time. He's a big gamer. Uh, Bruce has won a gazillion Euro tournaments at uh, our local con, Strate- Strategic Con, and um, is very, very familiar with competitive gameplay.
0: Yes, Bruce is a formidable presence at the gaming tables at, uh, at Strategic Con and things like that. Uh, I always enjoy playing with him because he's he's just he is a very he's a very quiet and steady. Person, He's like a silent assassin. He just comes in there <laughs> and, and just doesn't, doesn't say too much, just says, oh, well, that's a good move. That's interesting. And then before you know it, he's like 50 points ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, welcome. It's good to have you on the, on the podcast. Good, good to be, to be here. here. All right. Jennifer, what are we talking about? Micro turns? What we're, does this mean? What are We, we talking?
1: are talking about micro turns. And, and, you know, because people are like, what is that? Well, we're going to talk about the definition. I think if it's okay with you, Tom, we're going to talk about micro turns regarding three games. We're going to talk about them with Concordia mm-hmm. versus Power Grid, which Bruce is an expert at, versus 1830 which both of us are very, very familiar with, and I'm sure you are too, and talking about how the significance of the term varies over that. Does that sound good?
0: Absolutely. Let's get into it.
1: All right. All right. So um, in in Concordia, and this is something I don't care for in the game, um, while there are kind of strategy focuses your turn is you put down one thing and you you play one card and you do one thing and then eventually you know all the little things become a bigger thing and Mm -hmm. you know you get the cards you want or you're deprived of the cards that you want and for me it feels like a game that was created to stop AP. Well, for me personally, I don't play with AP people. So, you know, it doesn't have that benefit that others may may find in it. Right. And yeah, and then we can move on to power grid. Well, in power grid, not every turn is significant, but many turns are significant. And with the Um, extreme interaction with power grid. Well, you know, do I, how much do I pay? Oh, uh, just one thing. I'm assuming, uh, experienced power grid players. Okay. Everybody is competitive at the table. Sure. Um, you know, well, how much do I pay? Is that too much? You know, where am I in the turn order? And, you know, again, not every turn is going to matter. Sometimes you're not going to have money. Sometimes you're going to be set for that moment, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 uh, so <laughs> so on. Um, and then you look at 1830, where even the choice of the privates at the start of the game guide the whole game i did the camden and amboy i paid this much all of that matters throughout the entire game Mm -hmm. and when you buy stock that matters because if you do it wrong you could lose the game right there you know and it's just a very tension-filled okay again assuming experienced players it's a very tension-filled board game Uh, with almost every decision is significant. So that is what I'm talking about when I talk about micro turns, and is that Concordia has too many micro turns, and I like games with way fewer of them.
0: Right. So it seems to me, though, that that this has been a progression that has happened in game design. I think old-school game design, like really old-school game design, when you go back... (laughs) Way back there. A turn is I play, I play these cards in order, to, in order to advance my tech tree. And when I get this card, I do this. And when I get this card, I do this. And then I put my man on the board. And then I move the men. And then I attack this place. And then I conquer this area. And then I conquer that area. And then I get these points. And then I gain these resources. And then I draw more cards. And then it's your turn. And then three hours later, I get my second turn of the game. <laughs> Right. That's not... Yeah. Right. I mean, that's how it was. That's that's the <laughs> that's the way it was. And then, little by little. You know, people have been chipping away at that to say, how can we have it be so that we're not waiting so long before it's our turn again? And in the process of that, there's been a real uh, progression over time. I think, I think I'm think i really happy that you, you mentioned Power Grid because Power Grid, you know, Friedman did a, a great job of creating a situation in which there are still – Phases like the old games, right? Old games have phases. This and so does so does eighteen XX, right? It's this is the phase where we're now we're going to be auctioning off uh, uh, companies, and now we're going to be operating companies, and we're going to operate them in a in a particular order. Whereas games like Concordia, more modern games, there are no phases. Each turn, you are choosing an action that chooses what that, what that phase is, what that is. And it, it really, it goes back to Andreas, right? It, it goes back to uh, Puerto Rico was one of the first games to get rid of phases, and instead, one person chooses the prospector, and they take, they take money. Talk about a, a, a micro turn. That's a micro turn. Another person plays the, uh, the navigator, and they're gonna do they're gonna do that action, and you know what he did was everybody else gets to take a slightly smaller version of that action, but those are all still micro actions. Is that correct? Would you say?
2: Yeah, yeah. Very, very much so.
0: So the question is is at what point do do the micro actions become too micro, and what is what is what are we missing? What are we losing out on that we used to have? Right.
2: I would say what we're missing out on is interaction.
0: Mm. Mm. Expand on that, because we do, I mean, when I'm playing Concordia, I am interacting, but I'm not interacting in the same way that I am in 18 for instance, right?
2: You can kind of get in other people's ways, but you don't really uh, do a whole lot. Uh, you're, You're accomplishing a very small action. And not much goes forward at any given time.
0: Mm. Uh, is this? I mean, it, it sounds almost like the criticism of uh, Ameritrash gamers had for something like Agricola, where well, where's the where's the conflict, right? And there is a lot of conflict in, in Agricola. When I choose the four wood right. action and you don't get the four wood action, right. that that is painful. And to right. to Ameritrash gamers, right. it's yeah.
1: Yeah, the only thing – there's a couple of things about Agricola, and I think, okay, first of all, are you choosing that accidentally? Mm -hmm, Like, gee, mm -hmm. I need reads too, you know? Sure. Or is that really interaction? And see, I would say, in Power Grid, it's definitely, this is, I mean to outbid you. Yes. Right?
0: Yes. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah, I I think Agricola sometimes – um, me choosing this action is not to thwart you. It's simply because it's the best action, and it thwarts you because it is the best action. And sometimes in Agricola, I didn't even realize that I was murdering you by choosing this action. I I, I think that that happens some sometimes for sure. But I still think that the, the the tension is still there. It's just it's just different, right?
1: Well, I don't know. I think, and Bruce can speak to this as well. I think that. Interaction is deliberate.
0: Mm, mm.
1: You see, like, for example, you can say, well, Monopoly's interactive because I bought the oranges. Right. Yeah, but I didn't buy them. Oh, I bought them because I wanted them, not because I'm trying to screw you. Right. Sure. sure. Versus, like like I said, in 1830. Well, look, you are not getting Camden and Amboy for a hundred dollars. Sure
0: sure but uh, don 't you see I mean uh, to me there is a, there is a great similarity between Concordia and power grid in some ways um, when in Power grid, I am putting my houses out on the board, and i 'm trying to be the first person to put my house there because. In this phase of the game, only one house can go in each city. Or even in a later phase, it costs more to put that second house down, which is exactly the same as Concordia, right? But the first person to build in that uh, in, in that Silk City pays six. The next person pays 12, which is a huge, huge uh, uh, change in that. So in that sense, the architect action anyway, I'm not talking about the rest of the actions of, of that game, but the but the right. architect action does seem to be very similar, isn't it? Yes, it is.
1: These yeah. So, so Bruce, so when you play Concordia, did you think about power grid?
2: No, I don't really think about power grid, but certain aspects of power grid are similar in that when you're placing your uh, housing network or your power grid network, you're doing a very singular action by yourself. You're not getting in uh competition directly with people is indirectly in that you're just trying to be there first right right whereas with the bidding it's direct competition you have to make very serious decisions on whether you want to keep bidding on that or save your money for something that's more efficient or just like cheaper
0: yeah I, i i can see that i can see that um we should tell the listeners that uh Bruce is calling in from the Mars colony, so uh, that's why you're hearing that echo.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's because the two of us are in the same room. I think that's hilarious. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, we're only about
1: a centimeter department.
0: Yeah, I, I've always said that, that I, I mourn the fact that bidding as a mechanism is sort of waning, because I think bidding is such a good mechanism, because it is, uh, it is zero-sum. Somebody's winning, somebody's losing. Somebody's getting a better deal. Somebody's getting a worse deal, uh, and we're competing directly for gaining this or gaining that. And how much are we paying to get that? I think is fantastic. I also love it because it's a natural balancing mechanism, right? You can have two completely imbalanced things, and as long as there's an auction to bid for it, they, they balance themselves out, right? Because the market will bear.
2: Yep, but it does require more knowledge on the part of the player
0: which I think is one of the reasons that it is, it is uh, not done as much, right? Because it's not so newbie-friendly. Uh, the people that are particularly skilled or particularly knowledgeable about the game will be able to run circles around people that don't know what a proper valuation is, right?
2: Yeah, power grid rewards knowledge.
0: Yes, very much so. Very much so. So, Jennifer, if you hate micro turns, why do you like Hansa Toitanica?
1: Hansa, but see, Hansa Tatanica. Okay, so maybe it's me, folks. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to deny. But to me, Hansa Tatanica is not micro turns because there's tension in many of the placements. I think it's a good question, though, because I do love Hansa Tatanica. But not at the level, though. I, I mean, I'm not going to compare. Hansa to with 1830, for example. But I do like Hansa. And I like Hansa because, again, when I, okay, I'm going to put my three cubes here. Now, then I'm sure Tom is going to bounce one of my cubes out. So, okay, (laughs) do I have a plan B here of where my cubes are going to go? Do do, do you see? It's thoughtful. Yeah. And, And, yeah.
0: So is your problem with micro-turns itself, or is it with the lack of direct conflict? That's my question. Because, because those are micro-actions. They definitely are, right? You're putting out three pieces. You're putting out two pieces. You're replacing one person's piece with your own. I mean, I, it, it's hard to imagine there are smaller actions than that, and it moves very quickly around the table. It's a, a minute or two before your next action. Uh, but they're significant and they don't, they don't, uh, they may be, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but they might not offend because there is direct, you know, player player against player uh, 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 violence in a way that is strategic and tension filled. Is that right or not?
1: Well, let's go, okay, so let's go to 1830. Sure. I buy a stock, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that's just the same as placing a, a cube, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It's the same amount of time, right? Um, and if I uh, build a brick, uh, you know, a, a brick production site on Concordia, all three of those things are equal as far as complexity, right?
0: Sort of. And the only thing I would say is, is that in in Concordia, the action is actually the architect action, and you could be building multiple places. So there's a so actually that's a longer action than. Than either of the other two, which is paradoxical because we're actually talking about Concordia as a micro action game, but that one particular action isn't so micro at all, right? And, and later, it's a in, little more
2: involved, or it can be more involved. Yeah,
0: yeah. Whereas a lot of the other things, Mercator is simply you know trade trade goods with with one another, right? Uh, the senators buy cards at the top, and and those are exactly like what you're talking about, Jennifer. They're exactly right, like buying right? The stock.
1: Okay, then yes, because like what you're saying, the architect. Can implement a longer-term strategy.
0: Correct, and in that right. way is and in that way is more like power grid, where you're putting, mo- where you're really expanding your your network by a lot, and that that those turns take longer. They're they're not micro turns. They they require they're crunchy. They require a lot of thought, and they are directly in conflict with other players.
1: Right. Well, kind of. I mean, depending on what board you're on and how far away you are. Sure, but, and it's sure. like Power Grid, I agree. And kind of like Hansa. I mean, yeah. in Hansa, it's not as likely that you're going to be out in the middle of nowhere trying to place uh, cubes, though, right?
0: <laughs> Un- unlikely, for sure, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so what I'm the only thing, uh, what I'm saying is, in 30, the simple action has more attention and more strat- strategic implications mm. than many of the actions in Concordia. And I would say that power grid is in the middle. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and so what I'm looking for, I'm not, you know, um, like even in Paris, I'm not, I don't, there's not a lot of interaction as in conflict Right.
2: Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there
1: is a lot of tension and thoughtfulness that goes into not all in, in Paris, but into many of them. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the, you know, the chance to make a difference with an action.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and I, I understand what you what you mean, because what, because in Concordia, um, half of your actions are setting up moments when you're going to have an action that is making a big difference right
1: right and that's what i don't like
0: oh interesting Mm -hmm. interesting i wonder i i I wonder because there are there are a lot of games that work that way i I would say uh, when i think of micro actions uh, i think that mac gertz is probably the king of micro actions. I think games Victoria. like <laughs> well, yeah, but but Imperial even more uh, is is tiny. The, that that rondel, the actions are so, so tiny. There's only one that takes any amount of time at all. It's it's I I go here and I build a factory. I go here and my factories make make ships or or, or armies. I may, I move here and, and they and they each move one space. It's, right.
1: But, you know, I have to say, I have not played Imperial in probably 10 years. Sure. So I can't speak to it.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's fine. I guess what I'm trying, trying to get at is how do we have our cake and eat it too, right? How do we have our cake and eat it too? How do we have... Uh, a fast moving game where, you know, every couple minutes you're doing something while at the same time having a lot of those somethings be meaningful in, in some way. And can
1: you? us right, well, see, I, I, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Please no, 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 continue. no, no. no, no.
0: You, you didn't. You didn't at all. I was done.
1: Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, But see, when you come from the background that Bruce and I come from, well, let's play 1829. Okay, Mike, we'll be there at 9 in the morning, and we'll leave about 10 (laughs) o'clock at night, and we'll have played one game, right?
0: Right, right. So
1: there's (laughs) That really happened.
0: Oh, I don't doubt it. (laughs) With Mike.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really happened. Yep, all the time. Okay? Look, uh, So I'm not as into a quick-playing game.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean uh, that. Yeah, that just doesn't attract me. That's one of the things. In fact, I find a turn off. It's like okay, like underwater cities. Let's say with four players, right? Uh-huh. Well, we have not been able to finish that game within four hours. Well, okay, that game does not have enough tension to be worth four hours. So if I'm playing a game for four hours, it better be as good as an 18XX. Right. Otherwise, I'm not playing. <laughs> it better
2: be riveting. Right. Hold your attention. And one of the advantages of the micro turns is that it just zips along a lot faster.
0: Yes. Yes, it does. I, I, just, I think that there are – I'm thinking of examples of games that maybe can have their cake and eat it too for, for people that want that, right? For – listen – We are, the three of us, all like longer games. I own Here I Stand. I've played Here I Stand. You know, you know, buckle in, you know, hook that catheter up because you're going to be there a while. It's, it's that kind of <laughs> game. <laughs> so, so, but not everybody is like that. And as the hobby grows and expands, we're expanding into we're expanding into territory where a lot of the audience is going to not be as diehard. That's naturally what's going to happen. The, the bigger a hobby gets, the, the the smaller the percentage of diehards are. Uh, right, absolutely. So, given that. What are the what are the what are the games? What are the design features that make a game that kind of can appeal to both? I think of a game like Wallenstein, right, and or the sequel to its Shogun. In this sense, Ah, uh, that's the,
1: back in the day.
0: Well, yeah, but but think about that. Well, Shogun wasn't that long ago when they which, when they, which when
1: they version of Shogun.
0: Uh, oh, the, well,
1: the, uh, I don't the, 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 know the, that Bruce the, played Wallenstein or Shogun.
2: Oh, is that right? Uh, I'm talking about the... Oh, I played Wallenstein. Shogun. I just don't remember what it is. Right. Show me the board. You know, I well, instantly
0: go uh, that one. Well, let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain it. So here's the thing. On each turn, there's basically three years of the game and two seasons or something like those lines. You are programming the actions that you are going to take. I have territory cards for the territories that my armies are in. And I'm going to put those cards face down on my player mat saying that this territory is going to do is going to build five more armies, this territory is going to collect grain for the winter, this territory is going to attack another territory, and so on and so forth. So there is a lot of thinking that goes into that. It's
2: like you're paying your bills
0: a little bit, but it's but it's. It very much is what we're talking about in terms of deep thinking, super important decision making that is going to be player versus player. But then the rest of the round of the game is the order in which these things come up are going to happen. So everybody flip over their their build five armies. Everybody flips over that card and they put five armies in the territory that they each have selected for that for that action. So what it essentially does is is the it, it separates out the strategy and the thinking and the planning and the attacking with these micro actions that actually resolve all of this. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's something that is somewhere in between. I'll also say...
1: Well, I was thinking of maybe... Are you talking about something like Brass Birmingham? Maybe. Or, Or Dominant Species?
0: Maybe, yeah. I think those are both examples of games that have a lot of direct conflict. I also say we should bring in Keyflower into the conversation, to be honest because yes yes the actions are super quick right it's it's put a pawn down on the board either you're putting it on a tile in which case you do what the tile says or you're putting it next to a tile in which case you are bidding on that tile so and as we all know that game could not look softer and sweeter and it could not be <laughs> it could not be more of a knife fight in a phone booth <laughs> right I mean everything should everything should have a stiletto in its hand playing that game, and they would be closer to what the game actually plays like. So that, but that's a game that it does right. It micro turns, and yet each each placement that yeah, you make.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and and I I I mean, as long as you play with the variant, I love key flower, and yes, because. Again, when you take your turn, it's meaningful. There could be something that could happen, and you almost every turn you need to have a plan B. You need to assess. You need, yeah, definitely. Oh, good,
0: good. Um, I think that's really interesting because I I do think that, and we've said this, Jennifer. You and I have said this on our on our last episode as well that. Um, while the hobby is growing and changing, and while the uh, game design is becoming more sophisticated for the most part, I mean for the most part, people are standing on the shoulder of the giants that have come before them and they're iterating off of their successes uh, That said, we might be losing some things right there There might yeah. be some things that yeah. are that are falling by the wayside that we're really going that we're really you know the people that have played as long as you and and Bruce have in the business we might be losing some things that we could look back at and say, gosh, I wish there was more of this because we, right, really right. Sh-
1: yeah. oh, I'm so sorry. No, go sorry. ahead. No. I think what the biggest thing that my group is losing, we don't play good games often enough. So I'm so busy playing the new game. Mm. I'm not playing the good game. Right. I mean, sometimes I would say 80% of the time, the games that we play, I would play again. But it's just like even with Paris. Supposing if we played that 10 times, that would be a very different game, I think, than oh, yeah. how we're playing it now. You know, or tawant Satie would be a very different game with four players who played 10 times. True. But, you know, we're all just kind of cycling through everything, at least. For myself, and every year I say I'm not going to do it, and every year I do it. So what am I going to do? No. Every year
2: I like going to conventions so that I play the classic ones in tournaments and I'm not dealing with learning a new game. That is
0: true. You do do that, Bruce. I've noticed that. So there, uh, at Strategicon, there are two main board gaming areas. There is the well-lit, wide-open, high-ceiling, wide area where the tournaments happen. And then there is the basement, which has, you know, <laughs> yeah. dim lighting, you know, yeah, low, so do low ceilings. You know, they don't even turn the air on down there half the time.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: And that's the open gaming area. And I never leave the open gaming area. Jennifer never leaves the open gaming area. But you, you go up, you go up, you know, you leave them old people. Bruce and you go and play games with with uh, with other people, and you play in in some of the classic tournaments. And I don't know, maybe you got maybe you have the right idea. Maybe you're doing it right.
2: All that matters is that you have fun, and if you like just playing with familiar people and sitting down, learning a new game, that's great.
0: I hear you. I hear you, uh, Bruce. Thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, your your wealth of experience was. Uh, it was a joy and it was great to have you on the podcast
2: You're too You're done.
0: Done. all right talk to you later um, yeah. Jennifer do you uh, we have time for a game sommelier can we uh, can we jump into one sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay which game should go which to play with mama, Madame my you got to tell me monsieur just what to do want to make an impression but I can't get far with my 50th play of a Grigola a million games Show me the way to the master, the Game Sommelier. All right. Jennifer, we have an interesting Game Sommelier. Uh, It's from a a Discord person called Colorful Pockets, which, by the way, I love that name. (laughs) I I want a friend named Colorful Pockets. That's fantastic. Uh, Colorful (laughs) colorful, writes, I've got a somewhat unique request for the Sommelier, I think. I mostly play games with my immediate family, so we tend to play things on the lighter side. I've realized that as a result, our collection has a strange thing, it's lacking games with actual boards. We play many games, uh, but have only ones the only ones we play often that have boards are Lords of Waterdeep, Ticket to Ride, and Great Western Trail. Obviously, has a board is a somewhat trivial requirement. But I think it would be nice to play more games where the board is the main focus and the largest thing used, and you play on the board more than just keep track of score. I also feel like games with boards tend to be slightly heavier than what we typically play, since they usually have more components. Uh, Great Western Trail is an outlier for them. Uh, And I'd like to have some games that are a bit heavier. In summary, I'm looking for medium weight games with big boards that are the main focus. So, Agricola, the board is is too small. Catan, the board is assembled from smaller parts. Uh, he wants something where the board game is a board game, which I thought was, uh, first of all, I thought that was a really interesting observation that, you know, I went through my collection. And I'm like, oh, you know what? There's a lot of these games that don't really fit that. That uh, that mechanic. I think we have uh, people people. We've migrated to player boards. We've migrated to modular and all sorts of things. Right.
1: Right. Yep. Exactly. That's another trend. But I'm neutral on that trend. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I will say that toward what we talked about, the more that you have an individual player board, the less you're playing. the, the less, to some degree, the design is toward playing against people because you're more playing your own personal space to some degree.
1: Well, but, you know, Indonesia has an individual board, right? Sort of.
0: I mean, really, it's... it's Barely a board. It's it's a it's a space. To, <laughs> it's a space to hold money. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> that's true.
0: Not that's too true. much. So what, yeah. what what games come to mind for you, Jennifer? Games that are medium well, medium weight but are board based.
1: Babylonia, I think, is a great game that fits in um, the weight of the games he's discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a tile and board game, and if you want to go to its. It's Ancestry, Samurai and Tigris and Euphrates and Through the Desert. All of those work in that space, right?
0: Yeah. Well, Samurai is one of the most gorgeous board games ever produced. But I think it is three (laughs) separate. It's not actually a board so much as three islands that are board, you know, not, not quite board shaped for his requirements. But I totally agree.
1: Oh, I see what you mean. Sure. But I well, Babylonia is definitely one board.
0: Yes, as as is Tigris and Euphrates, as is uh, through the desert. Though through the desert is a very small board; it's a small box game. But yeah, yeah, yeah. thankfully, I think that's great. <laughs> I think that's great.
1: Yeah, uh, and then Kingdom Builder is also another game with a reasonably big size board. Yeah, and a, it, a, it's definitely on the board. It's not. I mean, it's nice to have a card, but you only have one at a time. So clearly, (laughs) the activity has to be on the board. Now, it's one of my all-time favorites, so I always recommend Kingdom Builder.
0: That's great. That's great. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of a classic game, right? It's a a territory acquisition game of sorts, and you're moving pieces across the board and around the board. So I think that really fits. I think that's great.
1: Um, Yeah, and also, don't. Be put off. All I have is one card. The challenge is to make that card be as effective and efficient as possible. Yes. You know, when you get into again experienced players playing Kingdom Builder it becomes a different game.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They, they'd clean my clock. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly <laughs> love love Kingdom Builder, uh, and it might be because the first time I played it, people were lapping me. It was just, <laughs> it was embarrassing. <laughs>
1: Now, see, that's one of the few games that I can beat
0: Bruce at. Yeah, this you you'd build. beat the pants off of me in that game. I'm no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> uh, that's great. So for me, um, Hansa Titanica is going to come up again. One of your favorite games. True. Interestingly yeah. enough, so so big boards tends to mean to me that never you 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 can't have a game that is a big board game and is a travel game. But Hansa Titanica is my secret travel game. Because right. because the board is super flat, right? And everything else that's in the game fits into a little sandwich bag, like a snack baggie. There's nothing else to the game. There's these tiny little flat boards. There's these tiny little cubes. There's almost – and tiny little disks. There's almost nothing to the game. It, it's so component light for a game that is really strategy rich it is one of these games that I love because I can pack it up, take it with me, and I have like a full-on board game that I can play anywhere, and it packs down super small and super light. So that's one of the ones I thought of. Um, yeah. Panamax might be, you know, it's more in the Great Western Trail uh, difficulty, uh, but right. it is a beautiful board uh, that that is the Panama Canal, and it's it's a game that plays out on a board and plays very well. Uh, going old school, El Grande, I already mentioned that today, is a clearly a game that plays almost entirely on the board. And uh, metro? Yes, yes. Metro is a fantastic choice for that. Um, Genoa, which is I- interesting, is a trading game. And trading games, usually you would think of, are not very board or spatially oriented. But Genoa, right. in particular, is tremendously spatially oriented. It's, it's all about where you can get to from here and what we can see on the way to some degree. And last but not least, uh, the game I'm going to recommend the most as a medium weight game that is a good strategy game that feels like a big board game, I'm going to say Francis Drake. Francis Drake is gorgeous It is a complete board game. There are two parts to the board game. There's the top half where you're in Plymouth and you're supplying. And then there's the bottom two-thirds of the game, which are you going into the Caribbean and raiding and plundering and and attacking and doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, It's not for for everybody, but as a medium-weight game, it is a really good board game with a nice big board. So those are my suggestions. Jennifer, you don't, yeah. you, you don't like Hansa. You don't like uh, Francis Drake, do you?
1: <laughs> no, I, I fell asleep.
0: <gasps> How dare you? I thought you just said that that uh, games don't have to be, just because you don't like them doesn't mean they're bad. How dare you?
1: I didn't say, I okay, I still fell asleep. I didn't say it, it, it was a bad game.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Jennifer, it is always a joy to podcast with you. And uh, we should just say that you have a you have a channel that you are doing a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, board game related content that you are creating yourself. Will you take just a moment to tell people where to find you?
1: Uh, yes. I'm on YouTube as M-A-Y-V as and Victor E E N A. And I've done all of three videos, but I'm going to be doing more. Though. The channel, okay, the videos that I do will be 10 minutes at the most, okay? And the channel is going to be kind of integrating my history with board games as well as discussing, you know, current games.
0: Fantastic. Get in on the ground floor, people. Mayvina, <laughs> check her out. I've watched, uh, I've watched I don't think I've watched all three, but i watched two of them, and they're fantastic. Very, very Thank well you. done. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash GameBrainPod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel that are very, very active these days. I think the uh, the um, COVID pandemic has actually increased their, our participation there. It's kind of a, another place for people to get together and just talk games. Please get in those board game sommelier questions. We're always looking for good sommelier questions. And you have been listening to GameBrain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com and you can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.